What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get into the game. <laughs> With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? No, a geek. A, a like geek. Only on the VSIN Podcast Network. Yeah, we're talking Harvard Handicappers Podcast, Jonathan Von Tobel, Jacob Roach alongside a little bit more of a, a normal setting this week. Was flying solo last week, but uh, very excited for this week's episode. Nate Kreckman is going to join us at the second half of this podcast, host of Kreckman and Lindahl, Altitude Sports Radio 92.5. It was a little troublesome with Altitude. Altitude Sports Radio 92.5 FM out in Denver as we focus on the Denver Nuggets and Nikola Jokic and his MVP candidacy. Uh, Nate, very strong with these statistics and support for the Joker. Uh, And he made a very good argument. Look, there's a lot of good arguments to be made for a lot of these MVP candidates. But we will get to that throughout the show. We have a lot of headlines to get to. And uh, what I think is an evolving and very intriguing MVP race. uh, Or excuse me, MVP race. Most improved player race. I have six players on my list in contention for most improved player Five of them have better resumes than the odds-on favorite, Jeremy Grant. We will get to that in a few minutes. But we'll start with the, the way we did the last show. A little bit of hardwood headlines as we go through some of the bigger stories that have happened over the last week or so. Uh, two of them happening within the last 24 hours of this recording. This is happening on a Thursday, by the way. So happy March Madness for all those who are listening. I keep getting the question, too, by the way. I love this. This is a uh, part of a bigger topic personally. But it's like, are you going to watch any of the games? And it's like, yes, I'm, I'm going to watch college basketball. I actually still enjoy college basketball. It's worse than the NBA in terms of quality of play, but I still watch college hoops. So, yes, I'm going to watch the March Madness. Don't worry. Tip-off, actually, for the first game of the first four is coming up about an hour and a half from now, and you don't really care if you're listening to this because you're listening to this like six hours after we recorded it. All right. So, a couple of headlines to get through here. First up, Milwaukee Bucks go out and acquire one P.J. Tucker from the Houston Rockets. They're going to send D.J. Augustine for D.J. Wilson to the Rockets. For Tucker and forward, who I totally forgot about, uh, Rod- Rodionis Krukus. R- Ro- Rudions I'm gonna look this Krukus up. is what I had yesterday, pronunciation on Rudions? it. Yeah, okay. Rudions? Yeah, Rudions. I'll trust that. That actually kind of sounds um, like it is spelled. So, Milwaukee Bucks go and get P.J. Tucker. Houston is going to um, push back the 2022 first-round pick Milwaukee owes to the 
unprotected 2023 draft. Rockets get the right to swap their 2021 second-round pick for the Bucks' 2021st round pick, 2021, I should say, uh, unless the Bucks somehow fall to one through nine, according to this report. So initial thoughts on P.J. Tucker going to the Milwaukee Bucks, because my initial thought was, okay, like it's a team that I think P.J. Tucker helps them defensively, right? It's If you look at some of the numbers, especially when Giannis comes off of the floor, um, Giannis, when he is on the floor, their defensive rating right around 107. When he's off the floor, it inflates to about 120. P.J. Tucker's going to help in that regard. Uh, their bench, while we could make the argument that potentially there is some talent there offensively, uh, it is very clear that Milwaukee, from a defensive standpoint, with their depth, has fallen off from the, where they were the last few years. So I think he fits somewhat of a need. I think there's a lot of questions about Tucker in terms of being the corner three-point specialist uh, that he was with James Harden, right? He got a lot of credit for that. Uh, but this year, the shots have not been falling at, um, we will say, the exact same rate as they have in the past. Uh, Three-point shooting overall this year, P.J. Tucker, 32%, 27 of 84, so not large sample size. Uh, the corner three-point shooting, which, by the way, like quietly, this is always something that is stuck in the back of my mind. If you think of P.J. Tucker, you think of the corner three. Last year, 28% from the corner. This uh, The year before that, 34%. The year before that, 31%. So, He's considered a three-point specialist from the corner, but, like, statistically, it hasn't really panned out. But I, I don't think it's there for the shooting, right? He he is a switchable guy. You know, he's used to that, right, the switch-all system that he's been in there with Houston. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, by all accounts, and you can see it when you watch them, uh, are trying to switch a little bit more, especially the off-ball stuff. It's trying to help them out in terms of one of the biggest flaws of their defense, the fact that they have refused to switch at times, almost to the point where it's stubborn and it leaves shooters open, especially on pick-and-pops and, pops and that's how they've been burned in years past. So generally, I, I like the acquisition of P.J. Tucker. I think it's a general positive. Is it going to shift the odds for the Milwaukee Bucks? No. Is it going to make me think any more or any less of the Milwaukee Bucks? No. Uh, but it is a signing that doesn't make them worse. A signing trade and an acquisition that does not make them worse and makes them a little bit better in certain regards. What do you think? I think the most interesting aspect is what's going to happen to Olin Depot now that the uh, fire sales kind of started in Houston. That's what I'm most interested to see from this trade. Like, is Victor going to move next? Is he going to move to a team that's trying to make a push or is in contention? I think the Knicks are like the one team that, in my mind, makes some sense for Olin Depot. They've got that Pistons uh, early second round pick. That could be a good piece. With the Bucks, I mean, I think this kind of adds like when it comes to looking at the Sixers and the Nets. PJ Tucker, I think, would be important in those series. Mm -hmm. So, for that standpoint, I do like that for the Bucks. You kind of clean out a little point guard depth with Drew Holiday, who struggles with injury. That would be my only concern. But all around, I think the Bucks, like they, they made the right move here, and he should be able to find his shooting in a system that's like driven by Giannis. I think that will help as well. Yeah, he brought up that game. Like Jesus Christ, how bad was that game yesterday? <laughs> watching, you know, watching a good chunk of that contest. Uh, one was it 106 to 105 at overtime? Mm -hmm. uh, well, no, that was not 106 to 105. The final score was 109 to 105. Um, yeah, that game sucked. That was that was every guy who says 90s NBA is the best. They should have had like a raging boner watching that game. 100%. It was it, by the way. So I love like Vegas, I will say this because, you know, it's March Madness and, and this town in I'm from here and obviously I have a a little bit more of a a love and an and a fatu infatuation with this town than you would because you're a new guy. Um but it's really cool to see this starting to get packed up mm -hmm. again. You know, the, the traffic on the way here was a nightmare, but it's a good thing. Uh, the parking garage here at the D was packed. Yeah, uh, It is loaded with people right now sitting around us, getting ready for the tip-off uh, that is set to happen. So it will, it is great to see all of these sports books getting jam-packed with people who are coming in to spend their money and, and support our city. But, you know, it also leads to some very uh, wonderful characters that are perusing the grounds. And um, not to put your people under an umbrella, but clearly this dude from Boston yesterday, I'm sitting at the Red Rock Sportsbook, and is just bitching the whole time about basketball <laughs> just complaining you think this is good but it's not all this three-point shooting also and he was kind of a piece of garbage uh hoping i i couldn't really catch him because he was a little farther away uh he did wish uh, a plane to crash one of the teams for their planes to crash uh on the way home because i guess i don't know he didn't cover the first half or something like that so while i enjoy that people are out here <laughs> Uh, there are some very fascinating characters, but he I, I'm assuming he loved everything that happened to that Bucks and uh, 76ers game yesterday. That was bad. The Bucks yesterday were incredibly terrible. And it's funny because Giannis got a lot of them. We're going to get more on the MVP stuff. Giannis got a lot of MVP moment. And I'm like, 
Is the MVP moment when he was shooting 20% from the floor in the first half? Like, is that the MVP moment? Yeah, is the MVP moment when he struggled with a team missing their MVP candidate? Yeah, right, like, yeah. Needed overtime, and you only got 109 points. Uh, but regardless, so Bucks get P.J. Tucker, generally positive. I, I like your point that in a series with the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, it does give them another switchable piece. Um, on every possession, do you want him on a Joel Embiid? Hell no. Uh, but can you live with it on a every once in a while possession if it's going to happen? Uh, you probably can. So poor P.J. Tucker uh, gets acquired just so he can bang bodies with massive Joel Embiid <laughs> once the playoffs start uh, after he had to play center last year for the Houston Rockets. But a generally positive acquisition there for the Milwaukee Bucks. Other headline, of course, is that Miami has acquired Trevor Ariza from Oklahoma City. The Heat are going to send Myers Leonard in a 2027 second-round pick. So essentially, they're sending nothing. Uh, like, we, you know, you have these conversations all the time. You hear this uh, when you listen to GMs talk. A pick that far out, you're essentially acquiring it for free. Like, who the hell is going to be in the front office for Miami in 2027? We have no idea. So you're getting him for nothing. Uh, the Thunder, of course, send over Ariza. So what does this do for Miami in their push for the Eastern Conference? Because if you look at Miami from a statistical standpoint, this is a team that the one thing that sticks out to you when you evaluate them from this year to last year is their three-point shooting is not the same. You know, last year, the Miami Heat uh, were a team that finished, and I'll double-check this, um, second in three-point percentage, 38.6%. Uh, now this year, they are 25th, 35.1%. I, I think part of it, too, is, you know, uh, the health and the lack of continuity, but they're still taking a lot of threes. The threes just aren't going down. Trevor Reza doesn't really help that. Trevor Reza, career 35% three-point shooter. He's a decent body along the wing. I still would have preferred a Harrison Barnes-type acquisition. I think he would have been freaking awesome for Miami. I don't think the door is entirely closed on that, even with the acquisition uh, of Trevor Ariza. Uh, but I think this is also one of those. It's twofold, right? It's one, it's you know, we need some wing depth. He's a switchable piece. We like to switch and play solid defense. He'll provide a little bit of that. Uh, the other is, let's get Myers Leonard the hell out of here. Yeah, I think it's like, he, I guess he's a heat culture guy. Like, he could fit in. It's just kind of value added for nothing. So, like, you're not blown away, but you're like, yeah, it's, it's another body. It's six more fouls if you need it. It's yeah, It adds to the team, but not nothing that moves a needle. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really. So, we got two trades up to this point, And we've had a couple of it. It's not like anything earth-shattering yet when it comes to the NBA. So, trade deadline is a, about a week from today. Actually, I think it's exactly a week from today, mm -hmm. on Thursday, uh, the 25th. And there's not, and the problem with this trade deadline too is there's not a lot of like crazy names that are available that will like swing the pendulum in one direction, right? Andre Drummond for the Los Angeles Lakers potentially, you know what I mean? Um, also on the other side, right? When you're looking at other things, uh, a Kyle Lowry potentially, which would be a massive piece for some yeah. teams, but the, the 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 price for him, the cap hit for him, all of those things that go into it make him hard to acquire. So two moves up to this point again. It's Thursday, so as you're listening to this, maybe something comes down tomorrow or the next day. Uh, but that's what we had over the last uh, 24 to 48 hours. You should also note, too, as you listen to this, uh, in the win over the Rockets for Golden State, Steph Curry suffered a tailbone contusion. Third quarter Wednesday night, didn't return. Sounds like he's going to miss uh, a game or two. So that's, that's really actually worth pointing out here for a betting angle going forward as you're listening to this because uh, the Golden State Warriors without Steph Curry on the floor are trash, like straight-up garbage. If you look at some of the cleaning the glass numbers uh, with Steph Curry on and off the floor – and we've talked about this a lot, right? It was actually, I wrote about this in my piece, cases for, case and against for the MVP. Steph Curry off the floor this year, offensive rating for the Golden State Warriors, <laughs> 95. And a net differential of negative 12.1. They got outscored by 12.1 points every 100 possessions without Steph Curry. Defensively, they might be able to keep themselves in some games, but I have no idea who's creating their offense for them if he's missing like two games. It's already an offense that was kind of struggling, and now you take Steph out. I, I just feel bad for Steph because I just he, – he always gets these injuries and, you know, adds to, like, the narrative that Steph is soft. But, like, his injuries – I mean, barring the ankle things early in his career, his injuries are never connected, so you can't beat up on him too bad. Mm -hmm. But that just it, – it's a bummer because, you know, he's – I feel like he's going to be a little stiff coming back too. This isn't – it's not like the end-all, be-all injury, but anything that's in your tailbone, like, that's just that's, – that sucks. Have you ever had a bruised tailbone? Uh, no, I've I've taken a lot of hard hits on it, just like falling playing basketball. I've never had like a true bruised one. I don't think so. I've had a bruised tailbone before. It was when I was I was actually really young. I used to be really into rollerblading, and <laughs> I I totally ate it like hard, and I bruised my tail. Dude, I couldn't sit. I couldn't walk. It was it was one of the worst. It was it's like it's a very restricting pain. Like you can barely move. And you know, look, I was like nine years old. Okay. Um, so you know the pain threshold of a nine year old versus an NBA athlete probably the same. Um. But it sounds like he's going to be done for at least two games. Maybe. I'm reading between the lines. But their next two games, at Memphis, at Memphis, it's a back-to-back -back set. 
Uh, the Grizzlies, you know, they're having some issues. They just did beat the Miami Heat, uh, but still one of the better defenses in the NBA. I just gave you the offensive numbers for the Golden State Warriors uh, without Steph Curry. Really fascinated to see what the market does from a power rating perspective on that two-game set if Curry's not going to be out because the initial thought is circle the Grizzlies to play them, uh, but there's going to be a certain threshold. If we're talking about laying like seven with the Grizzlies, I'm out. Uh, but if we're talking about laying in the range of like three to four, you can get me in there. Would you look at going under on those totals because of a bad offense? You could. It depends on what the total is going to be, right? You know, I shouldn't be much higher than 220, if that at all, just given the issues that the Golden State Warriors have offensively. But, yes, that would be the other angle as well because, again, who's your best shot creator outside <laughs> of Steph Curry? Like today, you know, a lot of people got excited. And it was funny because a lot of people got excited after they beat the Utah Jazz. And I, I think it was uh, Matt Eumanns who asked me, like, because they played, you know, the Lakers the next day. Like, hey, you know, what do you think? Warriors are a good spot to play here. I'm like, well, are you going to get 28 points in, like, 12? What was it, 12 of 16 from Andrew Wiggins yeah. again tonight? Probably not. And the market kind of gets a little excited. The Lakers are only a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and then they blow them out, right? And a big part of that was their offense sucked, and the Lakers got to shut them down. So, again, circle those two spots. Memphis and Memphis back-to-back said it looks like potentially Steph Curry is going to miss this. So Steph Curry, one of, at least he was, one of the MVP candidates. I, I think it's safe to say that Curry is in the elusive, what we call, conversation. But he's not going to win it. And so I, I think, personally, this race has been whittled down to five guys. There are five guys who can realistically win this thing. LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, James Harden, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, I'm going to include Damian Lillard in this conversation briefly because there was a lot of Dame Dalla MVP talk after they came back from that massive mm -hmm. deficit against the New Orleans Pelicans, which, dear God, by the way, you talk about a bleeping collapse. Like, the men, like the, you, could, you could see it written all over their faces as the deficit was shrinking. And these kids, they're just like, like they just don't know what to do. They're like, deers in, they're like deer in a headlight. And then up three, two shots at the free throw line. And an 88% free throw shooter and Brandon Ingram bricks both of them. You still have the ball because Bledsoe on the ensuing possession smartly fouls mm -hmm. Lillard on the floor and Nikhil Alexander-Walker turns it over. And the best part I saw in that, Jake, was after, after Alexander-Walker turns it over, the camera immediately goes to Stan Van Gundy and he gets this look like... Yep, that's what we've done this year. Like it, that's and look, I love it. I got an under on the win total. Watching them lose has been absolutely fantastic. But holy, like I don't know what to do with that team. They're so bad defensively, and they, I don't know if they're poorly coached. I don't know if they refuse to latch on to the lessons that Van Gundy is trying to teach them. But that's a nightmare in New Orleans, especially with the fact that we have expanded the tournament for you to get potentially get in. They did it. I'm sorry, like they did it so teams like New Orleans could get in. They want Zion Williamson in the postseason. Oh yeah. They're not. They're they're in the danger of missing the play-in tournament. I mean, like that. The only like I would argue like the only reason that was a thing last year in the bubble was strictly trying to get Zion and the Lakers round one. That was the only reason that was invented. The that final that, that turnover, that inbound play, that was like the most evident. Like this is a young team with no leader play. Like, and that's something like we talked about two episodes ago. Like, why have Stephen Adams? Because like he can't. He's He's a veteran, quote-unquote, but he can't help you in those situations. That's a situation where, like, if you still had Drew Holiday, you, you wouldn't be there. Well, and, like, even on the inbounds play, it was pointed out in the broadcast properly that the play clearly designed was Bledsoe was supposed to scream down the sideline mm -hmm. in front of the inbounder, yep. and then Alexander Walker was going to come in on the open space and take it. But Bledsoe stops for a second, and Alexander Walker's like, uh, am I getting this or are you? And then Bledsoe clears, and they try to inbound, and they turn it over. But to your point, it's like, I, I, don't, I, I hate personally the conversations of like leadership and mentality, because I have no idea what goes on in those locker rooms. Uh, none of us do. Uh, but at the same time, like, they just seem so much like a rudderless ship. Like, it's absolutely incredible. But anyway, that, we get sidetracked on that because Damian Lillard after that game, there was a lot of MVP talk for Damian Lillard. And I will say this right now. I wrote about it two weeks ago during the break. There is, and you won't change my mind on this, there is not a single MVP candidate that's a, that has a better anecdotal case for MVP than Damian Lillard in that guy takes over for a team that loses two best players, keeps them above water, still in contention for a top four seed in the Western Conference, of all conferences, right? And still can, by the way, surpass their win total with a relatively solid second half. So, like, anecdotally, I don't think there's any better storyline than what Damian Lillard has done up to this point. But from a statistical standpoint, 
I think there's a lot of hills for him to climb mm-hmm. to surpass a lot of these guys. But he's included on this list because that was part of the conversation. But I wanted to touch on this briefly because I th- we the last time we talked or the last time we you know had the podcast since then Joel Embiid has been injured, and Joel Embiid can potentially be out up to three weeks. Mm-hmm. And if he misses all three weeks that was reported for the timeline. That is 25% of the regular season that he will miss. Remember, it's 72 games. So it's exactly 25% of the season that he's going to miss. On top of a condensed schedule in the second half that all of these teams are going to go Mm -hmm. through, and you would think that they are going to be very cautious with the hyperextended left knee of their big man who is oft injured on back-to-backs, on five-game and seven-night situations, on 11-game and 18-night situations. I'm going to double-check my schedule breakdown to see if they have any of those. But this opens the door a lot. For all of these guys, not just my dude, James Harden, but for all of these guys. And even the Westgate moved him as low as 10 to 1, Joel Embiid, to win this. Since been adjusted to about 7 to 1. But this, an already fascinating MVP race has just, like, somebody just dropped a bomb and it put a cover over and boom, and it exploded. And now we have all of this that is wide open for people. Does it also hurt the Embiid case that the Sixers are, like, playing well with his absence? Like, nah. There's no factor. I, I don't really buy into, like, a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, the, the Sixers are their number one overall seed for a reason, right? Yeah. Like, Embiid is solid. And, like, look, by the way, they're playing well. But, like, let's take this all into account. They beat the Spurs. Mm-hmm. Garbage. Yep. They beat the Knicks. Okay. Congrats. Right? <laughs> the Knicks, who I think are due for some regression. And, you know, there was a really low-scoring, crappy game that they played in there as well. And then in the Bucks game, which, you know, I laid five with the Bucks and ultimately didn't get there. In the second half, that's what I handicapped, right? Mm-hmm. The third quarter where Giannis and company are just running up and down the floor, scoring at will, doing whatever they want, coming back from a 17-point deficit. Like, that was the real matchup yeah. there. They had a really crappy first half. But I don't think we should get it twisted that they're playing well. Mm-hmm. When in reality, if you look at it, like with some nuance, I think you kind of see that they're a team that's kind of just treading water at this point, you know? Yeah, I, I think, though, like, you and I look at it like that, but I, I don't think a, a lot of the voters don't have that. Like, I, I would say the voting pool – doesn't have that breakdown eye, and they look at surface-level stuff like that. So that's the only reason I thought about, like, that case hurting them. I actually think his absence could help some portions of the Sixers. Like, Ben Simmons gets to explore some different things. Amal Shaw asked me the other day, like, who do you think is coming out of the East? And with a lot of confidence, I said Philly, because I just really think – this might be outlandish to say, but I think depending on Durant's status – and Davis's status, I think Simmons and Bede would be the one best could be the one the best one two punch in the league, depending on the status of Durant and Davis. In the league or in the Eastern Conference? In the league, depending on like, okay. if Davis is out and Durant's out, like I think they're the best one two punch. Uh, I, I would I would throw Jimmy Butler and Bam at a bio in that mix. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, I think, well, Butler's been playing absolutely uh, out of his mind. And he's another one. It's funny. A- anytime someone goes on a stretch, it's like MVP conversation. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what a conversation is. Sure. We'll throw Jimmy Butler in the conversation. He's not winning. Yeah. Like I hate to say that, but and it's not it's so fault of his own. You know, he missed time with COVID. Mm-hmm. It's it's well over a quarter of the season that he's missed. Uh, that just can't happen. Philly, by the way, has seven back to backs left as of today. Uh, obviously, yesterday was the second leg of back-to-back against Milwaukee. It was also, by the way, their fifth game in seven nights. Uh, but April 4th against Memphis, April 10th at Oklahoma City, April 22nd at Milwaukee, May 3rd at Chicago, May 8th versus Detroit, which will also be the fifth game in seven nights, and then May 14th near the end of the season against Orlando. So again, you would think that maybe one, two, three, all of those Joel Embiid, once he comes back, yeah. is going to miss. Uh, again, if they're cautious. So it really puts a damper on this. So you talk about the odds, right? LeBron James now across the board the favorite. DraftKings plus 160. FanDuel plus 155. BetMGM plus 140. William Hill plus 120. Behind him is Nikola Jokic. We're not going to spend a lot of time on him because Nate Kreckman's going to be with us, and he's going to talk about that and give the case uh, for Nikola Jokic. But 2-1 to one for Jokic, plus 220 uh, at both FanDuel and BetMGM. 3-1 to one at William Hill is the best spot number I could find on him. And then Embiid, as we talked about. But then we get into the double-digit guys, and both of them have a very, very – realistic case to do this and it's very fitting that we come into record today fresh off of a 40 point 10 rebound 15 assist night in a win over the indiana pacers for james harden and the brooklyn nets and i don't know if you've seen but my message all right mike golick jr you're probably not listening who had the audacity like two weeks ago to say, I'm the conductor of the James Harden MVP train, to which I responded, if you are, I built the damn train. Okay? (laughs) All right? Skip Bayless. Move over, LeBron. James Harden should be right in the middle of the MVP race now without Kyrie and KD. Harden just went for 40-15-10. We reversed the the rebounds and assists. Come on. Come on, Skip. With two steals, 
as the Nets won at Indiana. By the way, and again, this should be noted, against Indiana, 14 points and four assists in the fourth quarter. Two games ago against Detroit, 12 points in the fourth quarter, scored the final eight for the Brooklyn Nets to lead them past them 195. So I was texting with Mitch Moss to follow the money, fame, and fortune yesterday. And I was, we were talking about the fact that, like, he's still, if you can find, you can find Harden. 14 to 1, 13 to 1, somewhere in that range. It's slowly starting to shrink. FanDuel is the first, uh, the first book I have seen to move him to single digits at plus 950. But the, the ignorance around his case for MVP, at some point, you can't ignore it. Mm -hmm. At some point, you're just sticking your head in the sand and refusing to see it because he has been incredible. The, I will use this word that someone tried to throw at me on Twitter earlier this week. The casuals will throw out Kevin Durant. He hasn't played at all. Kyrie Irving continues to be rested in certain situations because of his injury situation. He is a legitimate MVP candidate right now, and there is no denying it. I think that Durant and Kyrie, I think it's more of a testament to Harden that he plays with Durant and Kyrie and he runs the team. Like, he showed up couple games into the season said, hey, we're going to kind of restructure this thing. I'm going to run it, and we're going to be better for it. I think that only helps his case. Good. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a one-case scenario where having great players on teams actually might help that case. But here's the thing. One of those great players hasn't even played. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the problem, right, is the fact that if people want to use that against him, uh, they realistically can't. And here's the other thing that we'll just throw into the mix here. The Brooklyn Nets right now are 28-13. and 13. You know what the record was when they got James Harden? Seven and six. Ooh. I just don't know how. Like, my whole thing now is it's not even so much that he has to win the award anymore, Jacob. It's now it's you, like the collective you, mm -hmm. just need to admit he has a legitimate case at this point right now because there's no denying the fact that he does. And, you know, yesterday too. Yesterday was a really good day. Again, we're recording this on Thursday. It was a really good day for a lot of these MVP candidates, right? Giannis Antetokounmpo, 10 of his 32 points in overtime to pull the Bucks past the 76ers. I would argue that he was trash in the first half. The Bucks were entirely just trash in the first half. And that he dug the hole that he had to get himself out of. And then Nikola Jokic, really boring, but still a 12-point, 10-rebound, 10-assist, triple-double. And they beat the crap out of the Hornets yesterday. But, like, all of these guys, they have very legitimate cases around this. But down the stretch, now that Embiid is out, what's going to happen? And, and the LeBron thing is, because we haven't even touched on that, the, I don't know if they're just going to hand it to him. I don't know what it is. He's got, and this is going to be stupid, but it's an award that people vote on, so this is actually, it's not a statistical <laughs> benchmark, but he's got no buzz, right? Like, there's nothing it's around really LeBron. Quiet. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's just nothing around LeBron at this point right now in terms of just traction, highlight reels, things of that, like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, a constant conversation around Not him. a lot of press conference stuff from him. Right, yeah. so I'm really interested to see how this is handled, but that's the update for the MVP race now at this point. But I want to focus on one last award, before we get to Nate Kreckman, because I have slowly become a little bit more infatuated with the Most Improved Player Award. And, and this market overall, and just the definition of Most Improved. So this has become a topic of conversation, I'd say, in the last week. Uh, to reiterate for those who uh, don't know where I stand, I have a ticket on Julius Randle at 22-1. to 1. I just dipped my finger, toe, into the water on Zach Levine at 25-1 to 1 as well. So those are my two Most Improved Player tickets at this point. I mentioned at the top, there are six guys. I have six on my list that could potentially win it. And again, I'm not being facetious or doing stuff on purpose, you know, to have a hot take out there. I think five of them have a better case than Jeremy Grant. But let's go with Jeremy Grant, right? Because I think the problem with Jeremy Grant is, and I actually, it's funny, I had another conversation online. I love having conversations online. Um, it, it's fun to get other people's opinions. It just sucks because, like, texting essentially is not the greatest format for debates. Yeah. But, like, one guy, I'm a big Reddit guy. I don't know if you know this. Reddit's awesome. Uh, and in the, um, the sports book and the sports betting subreddit, I was talking about like, somebody had asked, hey, what do you think about most improved player? And I was like, I got Randall at 22 to 1. And immediately someone's like, you're a moron. He's got no shot. He's only averaging, what did he say, one point or, like, two more points per game. And it's like, well, you realize that there is more than one indication to measure improvement than just points per game. But a lot of people are going to look at Jeremy Grant and go, wow. 11.4 points more per game? This guy's great. <laughs> He's improved dramatically. But here's the problem. He's the best player on a garbage team. Yeah. And so his shot attempts are up. His volume is up. His usage is up. So his points are up. But his efficiency has tanked. To go through this really quickly, Jeremy Grant usage rate up essentially 
points up, 11.4 points per game. Field goal attempts, he's taken about nine more per game. But field goal percentage down 4.4%, three-point percentage down 3.5%, two-point percentage down 5.5%. And by the way, these are all down from the year prior because if you go through Jeremy Grant's career, like especially the three-point shooting, he's had close to 40% three-point shooting years. Like that, that's, that's an improvement. He's taken a massive step yeah. back with that. But two-point percentage down 5.5%. Overall effective field goal percentage down 5.4%. His assists are up. Assists are up 1.7 more per game. Assist rate overall up 7.4%. But his points per shot attempt, a metric you can find uh, over at Cleaning the Glass, down by 5.6 points every 100 shot attempts. All, again, the efficiency is down. And then you compare it just with the guy that I'm talking about, right? Julius Randle. His points are up only by 3.8 points per game. But field goal attempts are up by one and a half. Field goal percentage is up by 2%. Three-point attempts, he's taken one more per game. Three-point percentage up by 13.8% this year. Two-point attempts, only a half more per game. That's down slightly, 1.1%. Effective field goal percentage overall, 4.4%. And to me, the greatest measure of Julius Randle's improvement as a player, as he is now the focal point of the New York Knicks, assists per game, over two and a half more per contest this year, assist rate up nearly 10%, and his points per shot attempt, plus 9.5 per 100 shot attempts. Randall has improved in every single one of those statistical categories, literally everyone except for one, and that would be his two-point percentage, which is down 1.1%. So to me overall, just Randall has a better resume Mm -hmm. than Jeremy Grant. And then we have what's fascinating about this is then you have the fly in the ointment that is Chris Wood who comes back yesterday, right, and plays for the Houston Rockets. I don't know how much – Missed time is factored in for some of the voters on most improved, right? Because does it matter? Is it an MVP thing? What that means is going to be fascinating. But you have Chris Wood, Jalen Brown, Zach Levine, and I will throw you my mystery fighter. Do you know who my mystery fighter is? Give me the position. I'll guess. Shooting guard. Oh, wow. That wasn't – my guess was going to be DeAndre Ayton. It's not DeAndre Ayton, no. Shooting guard, Lou Dort. No. Nah. Not Lou Dort. <laughs> I'm big Dort guy. This guy has a usage rate that's up 2.5% essentially. He's averaging almost four points more per game, 3.7. He's, aver- he's uh, taking about two more field goal attempts per game. Overall field goal percentage up only by a half percent. But three-point attempts taking 1.1 more per game, and he's up about 5%. His two-point percentage is down by about 2.5%. But overall effective field goal percentage is up by 2.1%. And his points per shot attempt up by 2.8 points every 100 shot attempts. He is 250 to 1, and he is Norman Powell. Ooh, that's a good one. You know, I was um, – Keith Smart, mm-hmm. he had a great tweet. He said, why would you spend money on Olin Depot this summer when you get Norman Powell? And, like, I was like, wow, you're right. right. Norman Powell is so good. That's a, that's a good one. He fits what I would consider a most improved player. Like, when you go to, like, the what matters in a most improved player, Norman Powell is a most improved player. Like, C.J. McCollum won it. He was a most improved player. I, and this was, like, the – fogginess of what the definition is. I thought Brandon Ingram last year was not a most improved player. It mm-hmm. should have been Bam. It should have been Sabonis. Norman Powell's a great call, 250 yeah. to 1. So 250 to 1. And then, like, there's others, like Zach Levine, for example. Like, Zach Levine, when somebody pointed this out to me, and I went through and looked at his, like, his profile, like, you realize from an offensive standpoint, like, he's, he's, he's incredible. The field goal percentage up by 8%, the three-point percentage up by 6%, the two-point percentage up by nearly 10%. His points per shot attempt leads this entire pack. He's averaging 18.9 points more per 100 shot attempts this year. Zach Levine. Like, his numbers are eye-popping. They're incredible. But, like, every single one that we have listed off here, right, and haven't even got a chance to go through Chris Wood's numbers specifically or Jalen Brown's, who I'll ask your opinion on, like, out of all of these, all of these guys, Jeremy Grant consistently across the board is worse in his shooting percentages, and yet we're talking about minus 200 to win the award? Get out of here. The other thing that's ridiculous is, like, the other five candidates you laid out, all of their improvements have impacted winning. Right. Grant's hasn't. That 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 was like my big tells on Grant. If if he it's just he's not improving the team with his improvement. It's, and that's a really good point that I didn't think about. Julius Randle obviously leading the Knicks potentially yep. into the postseason. Christian Wood, they lost him to an injury. They lost 17 straight games. Jalen Brown helped the Celtics tread water while yeah. What's his face? Jason Tatum. What's his face? I've had a brain fart really quick. But as Jason Tatum dealt with COVID, and he wasn't playing, yeah. right? And Kemba Walker has been just, you know, whatever, Kemba Walker. I think, by the way, your boy Jalen Brown, maybe you can speak more to this. I feel like his, he's like a third-place guy. I don't know if he's going to win it. Oh, I don't think he should win it. I, I think, And I, I think I said this before. Like, 
because his isn't like a drastic jump. He makes the same size jump every offseason. It's just kind of compounded to like, wow, Jalen Brown's a really good player now. I, I Yeah, third place I think is fair. He, he's almost been in the league too long at this level for me to like even put him in contention when I'm looking at like my credentials for most improved. Yeah. So, I like I said, I think this is, this is really fascinating in terms of the race for most improved, what it means, right, for voters and how they perceive most improved, I think is obviously something that is extremely subjective. But I do think that I was talking to Gil about this the other day. There's an argument to be made that most improved is actually one of the easiest parameters to set. Mm-hmm. How have you improved? Yeah. And statistics are the ones that bear that out. And statistically, while Jeremy Grant has improved in a couple of areas, Julius Randle, Chris Wood, I have, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I have 12 statistical categories here. Julius Randle has improved in all but one. Guy like Chris Wood has improved in all but two, three. Jalen Brown has improved in all but one, two. There we go. Zach Levine has improved in all but one. And our mystery fighter, Norman Powell, has improved in all categories but one. And again, like, pick any of the other five that you want to win this award. My whole point is, as a better, when you look at the market of most improved, Jalen, or excuse me, Jeremy Grant should not be the odds on favorite. And that creates value throughout the entire board, wherever you want to go. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. I, like, I think I'm in a relatively good spot. Obviously, you know, Randall at 22 to 1, which you should have had, um, is a pretty good ticket now that he's in the range of like 2 to 1. But I just think that from a standpoint of who's going to win this thing, it's going to be incredible. And the MVP race, too. So I think next week I'll dive a little bit more into the, the profiles for Defensive Player of the Year. I'm really excited about that, what that's going to mean. Uh, and then, of course, we have Rookie of the Year, which, by the way, Look this up real quick. Let me get my numbers. Let me get my numbers really quickly. I think I know where you're going. Where? where? Anthony Edwards making a push? Hell no. Oh, what are you going with? What am I going with? I mean, besides Lamella, like. Let me clear my throat really quick. Let me clear. All right. 28 points, 12 rebounds, two assists, six of 10 from three point range, eight of 14 from the floor overall. Give you a couple of other numbers really quickly. Hold on, hold on. Uh, That sounds pretty good, though, right? Sounds pretty good. Let's see. Ooh, let's look at the month of February. Let's see what you've been doing lately. How about, let's see, this month alone, 13.8 points, 37% from three-point range, 93% free throw shooter. No guess, huh? I, I got one. Who? It's Is it your preseason boy? Sadiq Bay. Sadiq Bay, <laughs> dude. Sadiq Bay's been absolutely incredible, bro. 28 points yesterday against the Toronto Raptors. Helped them win 57% from the floor. Uh, I mean, I, I think I hit it on the head that he was going to be a damn good player. He's yeah. probably not going to win rookie of the year. But there's, like, you know, a couple of places, like, don't even have Sadiq Bay listed as Rookie of the Year, I think. I was trying to look the other day, and, um, look, he's probably not going to win the award, but he damn well better finish second because he's been absolutely freaking incredible. Yeah. It's the one uh, the one good thing about Detroit. Like, it's the one thing I can smile about in the, in the, the Pistons. In the whole city of Detroit, I think. Yeah, he's better than uh, their their higher draft pick right now, and, and Killian Hayes has been hurt. Not yeah. uh, not really exactly fair, but uh, all right. Hardwood Handicapper Podcast. Uh, remember, please uh, rate, review, subscribe to those of you who have that I have seen, of course. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Very much appreciate that. Uh, we hope that you have gotten everything that you like out of this one. On the other side, Nate Kreckman is going to be with us. Uh, Nate, of course, uh, I guess I would call him a good buddy of mine. We don't really hang out because he lives in Denver, and I only hung out with him one time when he was out here for the Mountain West Conference Tournament a couple years ago. Uh, but Kreckman, of course, uh, host over at Altitude Sports Radio, 92.5 FM in Denver. He's going to give us the case for one Nikola Jokic for MVP and, of course, the Denver Nuggets and uh, their overall portfolio, why they've been struggling defensively and what the future holds for them in competing for an NBA Finals title this season. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. Interact with the show on Twitter at me, JVT, at Roach underscore 97, and at VSIN Live. All right, joining us now here on the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast, Nate Kreckman is nice enough to give us some time. Host of Kreckman and Lindahl. Lindahl? Is that how you pronounce Wind- your Lindahl. There you go. All right. Want to make sure he gets all the proper credit. Altitude Sports Radio 92.5 out uh, in Denver. So, uh, there's a lot to get to uh, NBA-wise. I also have a couple NFL questions for you because uh, I might have taken a stab on the uh, Denver Broncos because of rumors around Deshaun Watson, but we'll get to that. I wanted to go to, I think, a topic that has been really fascinating this season, Nate, and I think it's one of the deeper MVP races that we have seen in, in a really long time. And I was going through your Twitter account the other day, and I liked this one. Uh, Damian Lillard, the only acceptable MVP alternative to Nikola Jokic. So walk me through the uh, the Lillard because look, I actually wrote about this the other day. I actually think like anecdotally, Lillard has the best case out of like all of these guys. Uh, but like statistically, you can kind of quibble with it. But what, you know, I was assuming that was right after the uh, the Pelicans game, right? Yeah, it was in the midst. I might have been caught up in the moment a little bit of what was happening. But when a guy goes for fifty on twenty shots, uh, when his team is down seventeen with six minutes to play and comes back and wins, uh, you, you you tend to get a little bit caught up. But that's just that's Lillard and what he does. I Some of this um, comes from the inferiority complex that we feel here in the mountain time zone is that Jokic is getting overlooked because of geographic and media market reasons. Now, again, you can quibble with a whole bunch of that. We've had MVPs in Milwaukee and Oklahoma City um, in uh, multiple MVPs in those towns in the last decade. So fair enough, but we know that Denver gets overlooked as an NBA destination. I think Portland, it, it's even more so than that. Um, I my, my biggest issue with the current MVP race isn't that Embiid is getting a ton of love, which he deserves, even though he's banged up now and now his odds have really dropped. Um, it, it isn't even that, that Harden is getting the kind of love that he is, although there's issues for why James Harden um, absolutely should not be the MVP this year. But to me, this should be a two-horse race between Lillard and Jokic. I don't don't get LeBron. I I don't get LeBron in this whole thing. And he's having a great season. He's not the MVP. He's not even close to being the MVP right now. Yeah, well, and I think LeBron, the LeBron thing comes from last year, right? It comes from the bubble run and yep. and him being upset about it. And so you you go into the season with these preconceived notions that, hey, a guy is going to compete for an MVP. Look, it's why Luka Doncic is still like a top seven choice in terms of odds. Like, I kind of feel the same way about Luka. Like, I don't think Luka should be in the conversation. His first month and a half was awful. He came in out of shape, and he, he was contributing to the issues uh, for his team. So let, let's focus on Jokic really quickly. And, you know, this is going to sound like a simplistic question. I know the case for it, but the case for Jokic is what Uh, the case for Jokic is uh, and again we're looking at LeBron at plus 160 Mm -hmm. Jokic at plus 220 that was what I saw yesterday on BetMGM Um, the the case for Jokic over LeBron he's got him in scoring he's got him in rebounding 11 to 8 he's got him in assists he's got him in three-point shooting Jokic is over 40 percent right now LeBron at 36 and a half got him in field goal shooting he's got him in free throw shooting Jokic is shooting 87 percent he's damn near a uh, a 50-40-90 season right now. It's got him in steals, so don't tell me about defense. Jokic is actually having a semi-competent defensive season. He plays more minutes, okay? If counting stats aren't your thing, well, 
He's got him in offensive rating. He has got him in offensive win shares. He's got him in total win shares. Effective field goal. Box plus minus. Vorp. You like Vorp? He's got yeah. him in Vorp. Uh, Hollinger's PER. He's having the 10th best season in NBA history right now, and he leads the NBA currently in that category. There's one difference. Uh, well, really, there's two differences. There's the media market. There's name recognition. And then... There's the fact that the Lakers are three games up on Denver right now. And, and you know, this is a huge topic of conversation on our show. and We love to pull in national NBA voices on this topic. And, and what do we hear again and again? Winning, winning, winning. That's everything. Westbrook is the only MVP uh, from a six seed in the last 20 years. Everybody else comes from a one or two seed. Okay, fair enough. They're three games back. They're three games back, and he's superior to LeBron in every single other category. So what what else is missing here? What am I not getting? It's it's about narrative. It's not about what's happening on the court. Yep, and it, I mean, his position doesn't help, and, and like, right, in being a center, and like Embiid, of course, is having a fantastic year, and he's at the front, but uh, it's surprising that he has uh, been at the front given the position that he plays. So here's my thing with, with Jokic, and you kind of alluded to it. You know, I would say that the biggest inconsistency with Denver overall has been them defensively, right? Like at times they have they have really weird games, like the yeah. Atlanta game a couple weeks ago, the the Dallas game where they're getting destroyed on pick and pops. And a lot of the times when I watch them, Jokic is at the center of those issues. I mean, look, he's a starting center on a team that that's 30th in rim defense, right? If you look at some of the other defensive metrics, I think one that sticks out to me, uh, their defensive rating gets better. Look at uh, on the court, their defensive rating 114.3. When Jokic is off the court, it's 107. So when you look when you hear those numbers and, and the defensive thing, that, that's my like, yeah, I don't know if he's really the MVP. I think he's definitely top three, top two. That's what I have in terms of trepidation. What's your response to that? Um, defensively, I can't really defend Nikola Jokic as a defender. Look, he's never going to be a rim protector. He is a center who is not a rim protector because he's mostly a below the rim big man, which I know the NBA, uh, we don't have many of those left in the NBA. Although, uh, he did dunk again last night, 23 dunks this year. It is a, uh, it is a career high for Nikola Jokic. He, he's slimmer. This year, he's more athletic this year than he has ever been. His body, uh, it, it came in NBA ready. He got done with the bubble and he actually stayed in shape. He didn't have a full offseason to, quite frankly, get fat. And this has always been the knock against Jokic in previous seasons is he will at times and has always either um, of a combination of being out of shape or being moody. Sometimes he just gets a little moody. He would put up these these week stretches, two week stretches, sometimes month long stretches where you were just like, what is wrong with him? And, and sometimes he just wouldn't shoot. Well, that's done. Guy averages 27 a game now. He knows he's the most important offensive player on his team. And it's outside of a couple of rare exceptions. And I know one of them was against the Lakers in L.A. Um, he has almost no bad games so far this year like yeah he only scored 12 last night he also had 10 and 10 for a triple double um it, it was just a boring triple double last night yep. from Nikola Jokic defensively he is not elite uh I I cannot I cannot argue back with that because we've griped about it as well but but he is becoming a much better team defender and it also helps that Michael Porter Jr. is figuring out how to not be a black hole defensively yeah. and in turn I think it's making the entire team a better defensive group. They've won seven of their last eight. Their defensive rating is, uh, I believe, right now, very respectable, 107.5. I think it's seventh in the NBA over that stretch. So it's uh, at least of late not as dire as it may seem. So I and I, I've actually been pretty clear about this too because I've gotten into some conversations about it. If Nikola Jokic won it, I'd be like, cool, like totally get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think there's like four guys where I'd be like, if you tell me he won this award, I'd be like, all right, yeah, it totally makes sense. So I'm not so much anti Jokic as like you know when you're when you're trying to sort out all three of these guys, all four of these guys, you know, you got to split hairs. So I, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, I have been um, spreading my propaganda on James Harden. So you yep. think he's out, huh? Uh, you can't give an MVP award to a guy that went to a strip club maskless during a pandemic complete, not even just for the sake of either chicken wings or whatever other fun he wanted to have. It was done in the service of wanting to force a trade away from his team. Uh, that's, 
that's problematic. Okay, that is. And look, I don't even blame Harden for wanting to get traded from Houston. The methodology was a bit questionable in my mind. He's having a marvelous season. If their three studs are healthy, they're probably winning a championship. I can't give that guy the MVP award this year. I can't. I just can't. So I think, I don't know if you've noticed this at all and how much you've been tracking the betting markets, but there has been a movement on Jokic for one award, uh, most improved. He's actually, his odds have all of a sudden started to plummet here over the last, like I'd say, week. He's now in the range of like 25 to 1 to win most improved. What do you make of that case? Because my, my thing was, like a lot of people will point to his shooting, right? Well, he had, yeah. a, he had a 40 points, he had a 40% year, like what was it, like four years ago or something like that as a shooter. Like little things like that. He's done a lot of the stuff uh, throughout his career multiple mm-hmm. times. Uh, I think the biggest increase has been his scoring, which is up from like 20 to 27. But what do you make of him as now all of a sudden a most improved player candidate? He was already awesome. He was second team All NBA. <laughs> right. If you if you make the jump from second team All NBA, he was two years ago. He was first team All NBA. He'll be first team. Well, he should be first team again this year over Embiid as the center. That's not most improved player in the NBA category. Give that award to somebody else. He's better this year. He's not the most improved. He was already awesome. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I thought it was it's an interesting case when you look at it, but then you realize the other guys and what he's been, I think that ultimately holds him back for most improved. So well, let's talk about the team itself then now, because I think it's it's interesting to look at a team in Denver uh, right now who is in the midst of a seven and one run and ask you, like, what's up with them? Because they seem somewhat inconsistent. And look, the schedule's been relatively easy, right? Eleven of their last mm-hmm. fourteen opponents, five hundred or worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them under five hundred or excuse me, under fifteenth in terms of net rating. So these inconsistent stretches, right? We're talking about the two losses to the Wizards, uh, the loss to Atlanta, the loss to Dallas. It didn't oh. look particularly close. So what is with this team and those kind of performances where I'm watching them, especially again defensively, I'm like, like, let's go get it together, guys. Like, it's great that you go down and get a wide open three on a look, but then don't give it up right back on the other side within four seconds on the shot clock. Yeah, you didn't even miss the, you know, you didn't even mention the national embarrassment that was that final play against Washington. That was the last game they lost before they won seven out of eight. And and that was absolutely miserable. Um, A a few things at play, and it's going to sound like I'm making excuses for this group that really isn't uh, what's going on here, but uh, they've been decimated by injuries. Um, Gary Harris is their best defensive player. Gary Harris was a guy a couple of years ago that we were looking at and saying, okay, like they, they got him locked up on a contract early. Um, it looked like a good deal, roughly 17 million per. And we were just like, this is marvelous. This guy is turning into one of the better shooters that we have seen here. And he is by far the best on ball defender. His body has just broken down on him. And so that's really, really frustrating. He is still out right now. God only knows when he is going to come back. Um, Michael Porter Jr. had the COVID thing. And he missed a huge stretch. He came back and then really was just up and down. Dude is on an absolute tear right now. And and a big part of winning seven out of the last eight is that he is averaging 20 and 10 in the month of March. He's shooting 50% from three in the month of March. He pulled a step last night on his last three and, and turned around and spun back to the bench before the thing even went in. So he's feeling it right now. And, uh, and, and like I said, He's not completely a black hole defensively, so it isn't four on five defensively when he is out on the floor. Um, Jamal Murray's another guy, and, and this has been the knock on Jamal his entire career has been that he's been inconsistent, that he has been up and down, that um, you know for, for every marvelous night that he goes off for 37, uh, he'll turn around and score 12 the next night and shoot you know four or 16 or some crap like that. He's starting to pull himself out of that. He's playing well on a nightly basis. Uh, He's not quite bubble Jamal Murray, but I think one thing we're starting to realize more and more is that the bubble was a bit of an anomaly. So it kind of makes sense. Um, And this is just a young team. They really are still a pretty young team right now. You know, Jokic isn't even 27 yet uh, at at this point of his career. So they're still kind of starting to find their way a little bit. And right now um, they're started settling into a rotation. Michael, Michael Malone. Rotations just they they confuse him, man. He has yeah. a tough time figuring out what he's doing. Um, he's kind of started to settle into a more secure rotation right now, even though Monte Morris is currently banged up at the moment. They got this little guy, Facu Campazo. Um, he's uh he's from Argentina, but they got him out of the Spanish league, and he's really helped solidify that second unit, both defensively. 
um, and in terms of distributing the basketball. I think he had eight assists last night. He's a really, really fun player. Uh, but more than anything, he's just he's very dependable as as a backcourt option with the second unit. So, your, you know, your questions about Denver, the same questions that we've been asking here in town this entire friggin' season, um, really the entire Michael Malone tenure here in Denver. But the, you mentioned the schedule hadn't been easy. Well, the schedule is going to continue to be easy here for a little while. The first half schedule was pretty brutal on the Nuggets. They got a chance to really uh, kind of make up some ground now here at this time. And I, I don't see a reason why they can't finish a top four seed in the West, the way they're playing right now, if they stay healthy. And the Gary Harris point, I think, is a really important one because if, if people don't remember, and you'll, you'll remember this, going back to the bubble, right, in the seeding games, they were atrocious defensively, especially along the perimeter. Barton and Harris were banged up. They weren't playing. All of a sudden, Harris comes back, and you know we know about the run that they make, and yep. he was a really big part of that. So I, I'm curious. You know, I, I brought up the stat, right, 30th in rim defense. I think there's a couple of others, right? Uh, third most corner threes allowed, 21st in percentage defensively, 26th in transition defense. Do you foresee those things getting better once they get healthier or is this going to be an issue for them into the postseason it's it all depends on what version of gary harris actually yeah. comes back because it, you know there's two different things there's being 100 and there's being the guy that was able to hobble his way back from injury um but their their wing defense i mean everything that you just brought up right there was about athleticism and wing defense it's atrocious and, and it just has been for years this is why you know the organization they, they really went after Drew Holiday. In the end, Milwaukee just completely outbid everybody. Um, this is why they've liked Bradley Beal, even though I don't think Washington is ever going to end up giving him up, and God knows what the cost of that would be. So what we have been waiting on, and I'll, I'll go back to that name again, is Michael Porter Jr. to figure it the hell out. And these last couple of weeks he has. And you know we did this topic on our show yesterday here in Denver, has Michael Porter Jr. arrived? Is it? Are we done saying, is it going to happen? Is it happening right now? Well, this stretch would suggest that it is. Um, but we all like a bigger sample size. It all makes us feel better. That's what we're kind of waiting on right now. And, I mean, that dude with his length at 6'10", he has the athleticism to be able to hang with twos and threes defensively. It's just... Is he, is he committed to it? Is he paying attention to it? Is he focused on it? Is he not? It's, it's, we kind of, we crack a lot of jokes around here that nobody defends empty space on the floor better than Michael <laughs> Porter Jr. It's just, it's find a body, dude. Well, he, he's doing some of that. And a lot of that is just the, the assistant coaching staff I know has spent an ungodly amount of time with him in the film room, just hammering on him what he needs to do. If, Look, they're never going to be an elite defensive team. They're not even going to be close to that with this current group. But they can at least be passable. And how good they are offensively um, makes them dangerous enough. Right. I mean, look, they're uh, they're still like, cleaning the glass, sorts out all the garbage time minutes and blowouts and stuff. They're still 12th in defensive efficiency. You know, that's why I like about t conversations like this is I think people in the service like, what are you quibbling about? They're 12th. They're top, you know, top defense. So well, in reality, there's little things that can get exploited. So as we watch them improve, and I do think Harris is a massive part of that. So you've been alluding to a couple of things. Let me ask you, we're about a week away from the trade deadline. Uh, there have been a lot of reports out there hovering around the Nuggets. Uh, there was one report that they were sniffing around P.J. Tucker. Ultimately, he gets dealt to Milwaukee. Uh, but one name that I was reading, Aaron Gordon yeah. from Orlando. Uh, what do you think the reality is of that, and what do you think would be the package? Uh, the name keeps coming up, absolutely. Um, the, the question there is, and this is always the tricky thing with the Nuggets, is are they overvaluing their own guys? Because they have been yeah. very guilty of that in the past. In fact, there was a number of uh, deals that were potentially on the table in recent years um, in which Gary Harris was included. And now, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, we're looking back and going, damn, it should have just pulled the trigger on one of those. Um, I do think they would love to move Will Barton if they could. Um, and, and, and he would probably have to be a part of any deal that would go down just to make salaries match up. I think Aaron Gordon would be a perfect complement for what this group currently is. Um, you know, it, it's, you can push Paul Millsap to the bench. You can use MPJ more in a three, more in a wing type of role. Use Aaron Gordon as a, as a, as a perfect off ball kind of power forward. Plus that's the kind of dude as an above the rim player, like, Jokic needs to be able to play with a guy like that. And Porter kind of is becoming that, but Jokic needs to be able to throw up some more lobs. 
And Aaron Gordon's the kind of guy that can absolutely go and do that. Um, I don't know how realistic it is because I'm starting to get beaten down on my hopes that the Nuggets are going to pull the trigger on a really, really meaningful trade. Um, they they just kind of love being team consistency, team running back with the Nuggets. But I think Aaron Gordon would be just perfect with this team. Yeah, well, the, the tough part for them is like the trademark is really not that great, right? Like where the names are getting thrown out there are Aaron Gordon, Kyle Lowry's out there. Right, like the George Hill, like none of these yeah. guys are really going to be massive pieces that really swing the pendulum one way or the other. So uh, you mentioned Barton. Uh, there was another report, 76ers called about Will Barton. So it sounds like Barton's probably uh, on his last legs there in Denver if they can't find a deal, huh? Uh, yeah, there's been there's there's a lot that goes into that, and there's mm-hmm. been some frustration on the part of Will of. He wants to, of course, he wants to be a starter. It's that old NBA thing. He wants to start. He doesn't want to have to come off the bench. Um, so there, there obviously is that little bit of complication right there. Uh, his, he's got a player option next season at 14.7 million going into his age 30 season. It'll be really interesting to see if he wants to pick that up or not. Um, Will Barton is the most polarizing basketball player in this town. He's been on fire lately. He he scored over 24 consecutive games. So offensively, he's been very good. He is also prone to uh, moments of what we will call lack of focus, some brain dead turnovers every now and then, bad shot selection. Um, But he's also a guy that when he gets going is one of the most dependable scorers on the team. And so with Will Barton, the only answer right there, and I think Michael Malone has kind of resigned himself to it a little bit, is just like you got to live with the bad with Will. You live with the bad and then you take the good because right now, like his scoring ability is, you know, with the emergence of Porter, definitely drops him to a number four scoring option on the team. But still, that's not nothing. That's something you need to depend on. Uh, Tim Connolly, the, the GM of the Nuggets, loves Will. Loves Will. Uh, you know, Will's a Baltimore guy. Tim's a Baltimore guy. They go way back. Um, there's a lot of affection there. Will Barton's a great story. Uh, you know, he he was a he was a forgotten dude up in Portland, even though, you know, every day in practice, you know, Lillard and McCollum were just like, why doesn't this guy play more? Like this guy can flat out fill it up. And he got to Denver. He got himself a big old contract, uh, you know, 53 million bucks, got himself paid. He's a great story. He kind of came from nowhere as an NBA player. Um, but, you know, it. At $13.7 million and being a starter the way that he is, he's a player you absolutely have to depend on. And he is a dude that when it's good, it's good. And when it's bad, it is just bang your head against the wall bad with Will Barton. And hard to see much of a future there. If they can move him for salary purposes, he's the guy to move. So big picture-wise, uh, we saw them go toe-to-toe with a lot of these Western Conference powers. Uh, but they had a really big win. It was like a month ago when after a road trip, they beat the crap out of the Utah Jazz. Uh, we've seen the highs and lows against all these teams. So where are you at big picture-wise with this Nuggets team in terms of competing with the championship? I, I made the case the other day, I think, and I haven't checked the standings this morning after last night's results. I think they would be in a 4-5 or five matchup with the Clippers, and I, I don't think they would hate that at this point. No, I think they like that matchup. I, I think yeah. they would be really confident in all that. Look, the Clippers absolutely choked last year. They melted down uh, something miserable. But that's what's funny about it is I actually don't hate this place where the Nuggets are currently in the schedule because, um, number one, they've beaten the Clippers, so mentally they have that edge. Number two, if they win that series, they would play Utah. And I, I know the Jazz are great, but – Nikola Jokic eats Rudy Gobert for lunch. Yep. He destroys that dude. And and Jamal Murray will go toe-to-toe with Donovan Mitchell. Look, they shoot unbelievably well. But for whatever reason, um, the Nuggets also shoot. On, they're not going to stop Utah from raining threes, but they will shoot and go toe-to-toe with them. I love that matchup. I think that's a series the Nuggets can win. So, uh, quite frankly, uh, I like where they are in the seedings right now a hell of a lot more than being a two or a three. And, and having to go play Phoenix or L.A. So right now, um, give me this. I, I think the Nuggets are perfectly in the place where they want to be for the matchups that they could get. Not saying that they that they will win those series. I'm saying they can win those series, and they can be a Western Conference Finals team if they get the Clippers and the Jazz. All right, before we get you out of here, uh, I have a 66-1 to ticket on the Denver Broncos to win the Super Bowl next year, all based on the fact that they might go get Deshaun Watson. Now, how realistic is this, or am I actually going to go into the season with Drew Locke uh, as my quarterback with a 66 66- to
one ticket on the Broncos. Yeah, we're like probably 95% stuck with Drew Locke is, yeah. is my guess right now. Like maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe they acquire like a Mitchell Trubisky or an Alex Smith or something like that to complement the room. We're starting to lose a little bit of hope. Uh, look, Watson, you know, Michael Lombardi said the other day that he thinks uh, it's still Denver and San Francisco's the preferred destinations. Now, the Deshaun Watson news this week is I can't believe that that story got more bizarre, but somehow um, it, it absolutely has. Uh, the allegations are very serious. Uh, also, some of the uh, uh, news regarding this particular attorney that is bringing these lawsuits is weird and bizarre and God only knows what's going on right now with Deshaun Watson. Um, I, I can tell you this, if they can swing a deal, I think they're going to try to, I think George Payton, their new GM knows that uh, they're going to make a splash. They absolutely have to make a splash right now. They tried to get in on Matthew Stafford. It's obvious that they don't love drew lock. They went to Trey Lance's pro day. So it's obvious that they don't like drew lock. And yet we might just have to settle and be stuck with Drew Locke. And if that's the case, then, uh, yeah, just set that ticket on fire. Yep, well, it's digital, so I can't really set it on fire, but we all know <laughs> how to say <laughs> Nate Kreckman, uh, host again, Nate, uh, Kreckman and Liddell, Altitude Sports Radio, 92.5 FM out in Denver. Nate, we really appreciate the time, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, Jamie T, you're the man. I appreciate it, dude. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.